Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. I want to ask all you parents a question, whether you're a parent or you have parents. I think everybody in here, do you all have parents? Yeah, we've all had parents. Uh, how many of you have disobedient children? Oh, I'm seeing hands everywhere. <laughs> what do you do with your kids when they disobey? What do you do with them? Just kind of a basic thing. You have to do some kind of a discipline. But let me ask you, what do you not do with them? Whenever they disobey, do you throw them out on the street and shut the door and leave them lost forever? You don't do that because you're committed to them. You are their parent and they are your children. And in Judges, we're going to see a lot of Israel, they, they start doing these sinful things against God. And God doesn't do anything. He doesn't kick them out to the street. He doesn't tell them to disappear. But they end up sinning again. And they end up sinning again. And they keep doing worse and worse stuff. They get farther and farther away from God. They got farther and further from God, and God had to do something to get them to come back to Him again. And they kept getting further away. But I want you to understand that Israel is God's covenant people. That's his chosen covenant people. And just because you mess up doesn't mean I'm kicking you out the door and you're done. Now, God has done some real heavy-handed disciplinary actions upon Israel, and I'm sure you've done that to your kids too. That doesn't mean you kick them out of the family and say, I'm never going to see you again, goodbye. They mess up, and you know in your life you've messed up. I can tell you for certain I have messed up. But my parents always love me because I'm committed with them. They're committed to me as my parents. And we're going to see that character show through with the way God deals with Israel. They are covenant people. And let's just check it out. Judges is full of disobedience and God trying to draw them back. Disobey again, God draw them back. So let's just go through it and let's see what it says. So in Judges 2, we had gotten to this point. Uh, we were in, in Joshua not long ago. Joshua warned him before he died. He goes, get close to the Lord. Get close to his word. I'm telling you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do it. We'll do it. And Joshua goes, I'm not buying it. Get close to God. Get close to his word. And Israel's like, oh, we will do it. We will do it. And Joshua, I, there's something in Joshua. He just wasn't fully, I don't think he really believed what he was hearing. They were just telling him what he wanted to hear, you know. So they set up the stone as a testament with the law on it, all, these things that you're going to stick close to God. And then Joshua passed away. He died. He knew his time was close. And what does Israel do? Boom. They bomb. Just what he told them not to do. And so here's kind of where we're at. And they got into sin, and the Lord himself showed up to do some talking to. Somebody's getting called in the principal's office, and it's not good. So we covered this last week. I'm going to read it again. Judges 2, verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. 
And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? That's a, that's a tough order. You go tear down their altars. You know, America has a lot of altars going on, a lot of false gods they worship. And we were at Planned Parenthood yesterday praying to pray Goliath down, that murdering, God-mocking giant that stands in our backyard killing children. And I stood there imagining, what if God called me to come into this nation and tear altars down? Can you imagine what it would have been like for their, their time? Here we come, and they got all these things, and here come the Israelites. Uh, we're about to tear that down. You might want to get out of here. You're going to do what? Do you feel this? I'm trying to put you in the story with the Israelites, what God told them to do. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And he's upset. He's mad. Why have, you not, why have you done this? And this angel of the Lord, we talked about it last week. I'm going to refresh again. This angel of the Lord is God, is God himself. Whenever you see capitalization, angel is capitalized, capital A, that is deity. That is God. And an example of this is Exodus 3 and 2. He showed up again before. It says, and the angel of the Lord, there it is, capital A, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Moses, in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Later in verse 6, the angel of the Lord tells Moses who he is. Exodus 3 and 6, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And so this angel of the Lord is God. God himself is coming to talk to these people in this form. Uh, something else I, I found in, uh, later in the book of John, when referring to Jesus, it says in John twelve forty one, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah seeing Jesus, what? What, what, what? what is this? Isaiah saw Jesus. Now that's Old Testament. How did he see Jesus? Angel of the Lord. Jesus is a time traveler, guys. <laughs> he pops in wherever and whenever he needs to. And 1 Corinthians 10 and 4 also talks about it too, about the Israelites when they were in the desert. It says, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Interesting. <laughs> well, wait a minute, Ray. I thought Jesus showed up in the New Testament only with Mary and all that. No, he's been around. He's been coming in and out of history through different points of time. Jesus, the Lord, has appeared to man long before New Testament. And in fact, in Genesis 3.8, uh, says that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. When you're walking in a garden and you're in a form where you're actually making noise, where people can hear you, Jesus Christ is walking in the garden. The Lord is walking. He's been all around. And then he showed up uh, through Mary in that form in flesh to uh, die for the sins of the world. So this is the Lord Jesus traveling around. So now back to Judges 2 again. The angel of the Lord, if you notice, he spoke in a covenantal tone. He spoke with a covenant tone in his statements because he said, I led you from Egypt. I swore to your fathers and I will never break my covenant. Angels don't make covenants. Angels didn't lead Israel out. God did that. Okay, this is God speaking. And so he's speaking to Israel as Yahweh, God himself. But he had to vocalize to Israel the fact that they were indeed in disobedience with him. You know, disobedience starts slow, and it's kind of a gradual thing. And you don't realize how bad you are until a friend comes up and says, Buddy, man, you're way off. 
Look where you used to be. Look where you are now. That's why the Lord had to come down and said, I led you out of Egypt. Look where you used to be. Look where you are now. Bad situation here. Israel had gotten so habitual with their sin, so routine, until the angel of the Lord showed up to tell them personally, that's rough, you have not obeyed my voice. And asking them, why have you done this? Did God ask, why have you done this? Because he didn't know. Well, of course God knows why they did it. But why is he asking that question? He's getting them to consider that question. Yeah, why did we do this? I don't know. We must have met. We must have fallen away from God. Hello. It took God coming to tell you that. He asked them to stir their conscience. He asked them that question to get them to snap out of it. Look at what you've done. You went and did exactly the opposite of what I had Joshua tell you to do. What Joshua told you to do, you're doing the complete other way around. And you told him you would do it. You told him, you told him. You set up the stones as a memorial with inscriptions on it saying we won't do it. And here you are doing that very thing. Wow. Judges 2 and 3. Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Guys, do y'all think that we have false gods in this nation today that's a snare to this nation? There are false gods provoking argument and To everybody in this country, you turn on the news, that's what you see. Blah, 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 blah. Everybody's fighting. You know what it's always over? It's always over a false God, isn't it? Be it money or some kind of thing. It's false gods are a snare to us because we have gotten so habitually in our sin that we don't even realize where we're at anymore. This is what's going on. This is my country. And I'm not that old. And I remember the United States used to not be like this, and now it is. So reality is now setting in, and now the people are so sorrowful that they have for what they've done, because now they hear that God's divine aid, His divine help, is now going to be withheld from them. Can you imagine if God came to you and said, I'm not helping you anymore? Imagine the thought, the feel what that would do to you. Would you weep too? I think I would. Would that make you finally get real about your sin and finally review your sin with extreme scrutiny? It would me. I'd like to think it would. Now, I bet the weeping in this situation was tremendous. They're all thinking the Lord is not going to drive out our enemies anymore. What are we going to do? I know you all have enemies in your life of different kinds. What if God said, I'm done backing you up? enough's enough. You've done this too long. Somewhere there may be somebody here or on the radio, you've been sinning and you've been getting away with it. And so far you think because you've gotten away with it this long that you're just going to keep doing it and it's okay. Until God shows up in some kind of way and says, you know what, I'm just going to turn you over to all those things messing you up and I'm not going to do a thing about it. And you are going to pray to God, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And he's going to go, no, not doing it. That's exactly what he's telling the Israelites right here. Somehow we've invented this God today that says, every time I pray, God has to help me. No, he doesn't. (laughs) God does what he wants to for his purposes, and sometimes we need that kick to wake up. 
from that, to get out of that willful sin. He's not going to help them. Now, one thing I want to point out here is that God making their enemy as thorns in their sides and all this, this does not mean that God has abandoned his covenant people. That's what this does not mean. He has not abandoned them. Israel disobeyed God, right? But notice in verse 2 that even though he's not happy with them, he still reminds them, I will never break my covenant with you. (laughs) That's the good news, guys. It's all scary. The people are weeping, a bad scenario. But even in the middle of that, he still says, I'm never, ever going to break my covenant with you. That is so good. He's going to keep his covenant with Israel. Aren't you glad that God never backs out on his covenants with us? He doesn't. And now what we're going to see through the rest of the judges is that man messes up over and over and over again. How many of you know that you have messed up repeatedly over your life? I can tell you, yeah, you mess up again and again, but the Lord will always send for the Israelites judge after judge deliverer after deliverer to his people to save them. And that, my friends, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being sent to those of us who have messed up again and again and again. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, that is a covenant promise. God will never break his covenant with you. And this is exemplified to us and through how he handles Israel. Now, real quick, while I'm on this, uh, there are people that get pretty hot at me because I teach the once saved, always saved theology. Well, that's, that's just your theology. No, it's covenant. Now, the problem with this is that there are people who believe that once saved, always saved. Uh, one problem is, well, if, if I'm saved enough, you know, and I'm all, whatever, then I'll just go sin all I want to, and I'm going to be saved anyway. Well, that's wrong. That is not correct. Well, basically, the, the main problem is I can do whatever I want. But when God says, I will not break my covenant with you, that is all the more reason to obey him. That is no reason to disobey. Oh, I'm saved no matter what. I'm just going to go send my tail off because I'm saved no matter what. Uh, I think if you're really thinking that way, you may not be saved like you think you are. But God's covenant says, I won't break it. And if you're truly saved in God, guys, take assurance in that. Have peace in that. It will drive you to obey, not disobey. God will never break his covenant. When God made the Abrahamic covenant to bring Israel into the land where they are right now, the way they did it is the way man made agreements is they would take sacrifice animals. They would cut them in half. They'd set a pile of them over here and they'd set a pile of them over there. And both men would say, let's agree on this covenant deal together. And they would both walk together bilaterally between those animals. And the the reason for this was it was a picture as of, if I don't live up to my end of the deal, may I become like these animals that were passing through together in agreement. That's kind of why they did that. When God came and made the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham, he, they put the animals here and the animals over here. And when it come time to pass through, what happened to Abraham? He fell down in a terror and he couldn't even move. And God goes, I'm doing this myself. And God passed through the animals alone. Abraham couldn't even do it. What this picture makes is God says the covenants, the the unconditional covenant promises I make with you are all based on me, not on you. You have no part of it. I'm doing this. And when he and another thing I want you to notice that that God had said in, in Judges, 
He did not say, I won't break our covenant. He said, I won't break my covenant. Guys, do you see what's going on here? These are his covenant people and they messed up bad. But God says, I made this deal. I won't break my covenant with you. Guys, I'm saved by Jesus. And he died on the cross for me. I had no part in that. I didn't get nailed up there with him. He didn't do 99% and said, now you take care of the rest of the 1%. He paid it all. That's bound on him. And I'm thankful. And this does not give me any inclination to go out and send my tail off. This gives me every bit of thankfulness to get on my knees in repentant obedience and thank him for what he did for me. That he put it all on him because I couldn't do it. So I want you all to take that parallel and watch what happens in the book of Judges where they messed up. They messed up bad. And God comes and says, why have you done this? I will not break my covenant that I bound. I won't break that with you. We're going to see him prove that out through Judges. He keeps trying to draw his people back in. Judges 2 and 5. Then they, because they're weeping now because of the warning. Then they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Now, Bochim means weeping. This place is here. This place here is going to have a long-lasting memory on what happened there. So they named it after that, uh, weeping. And even though they wept, though, here's here's what's interesting that I see because I've read the whole book. Even though they wept, we're going to see later in the book that the Israelites did not really fully. They didn't permanently turn in repentance because they're still going to get in more trouble again. Oh, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. Do, do a sacrifice. Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. They're going to be doing it right all over again. This is a problem. And this is kind of like a picture of the United States. They come in and all this false fire and all this, you know, you get the, the, the big band and everybody gets all caught up in it. And they get to going and, and they start crying and, oh, Lord, forgive us. You look on Facebook and they're right back doing the same thing that they were doing the whole time. Didn't mean a thing. We got to be careful of that. Provokes God's anger. They're going to get in more trouble. And so they're weeping here in chapter two and doing these sacrifices. It seems to be kind of a more of an external ritual in response to the angel of the Lord rather than genuine repentance from their heart. It's almost as if they're more sorrowful that the Lord is not going to drive out their enemies than they are concerned about their sin. I'm not helping you with your enemies anymore. And oh, now we're upset. Well, what about the sin? What about the sin problem? Are you heard about that? Had it been a deeper sorrow, they probably would have repented and gotten right here at this point, but they're not going to. I want us to be warned by this, that just because somebody cries, and I've seen people do this, all this big emotional thing, and people look at them and go, oh, oh, but you should have seen it, Ray. They they, they cried when when, when they repented. Well, why are they still doing it? That's That's my question. Crying doesn't mean anything. That's, that's emotions. What's the demonstration of repentance? Have you actually stopped committing that sin and turned from it? Crying. Israel wept, and they named the place Bochim, but it's not really a full, genuine repentance. And so now in verse 6, we're going to be taken back to a reminder that we saw in the book of Joshua. We've, we've seen this. We're being reminded again. Judges 2 and 6. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. 
Okay, so we know that Joshua's died already in the previous book. And so here's this reminder that the people were good with God while Joshua and his leadership lived. While they were alive, they were good with God. And so apparently once that leadership died off, boom, Israel's right back down again. They're right back distant all over again. This is a Bible passage. Now, I've, my, my Bible seminary education is in Christian leadership, and I really take notice of these kind of things like this that this is a Bible passage that really emphasizes the importance and the influence of good and godly leadership, the impact that it can have on people. Because as long as these guys were alive, Israel was good. But as soon as they died, they're back out. They're back out again. That leadership of Joshua and the guys around him, they had a tremendous impact on the Israelites. Tremendous impact. Now, I do not take passages like this lightly at all. Because it shows us just how far and how powerful godly leadership can be on a lot of people. And I'm not just talking about me as pastor in this church. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your leadership in the workplace. The things that you go and do. The effect that you have on other people. But Ray, I'm not out and I'm just at home. You post things on Facebook. What What influence are you putting out to people? What are you saying to people when you talk to them on the phone? You have great influence by God on other people that's going to make or break how they turn out with God. Look at how it worked for Israel here. It's a huge responsibility for good leadership to stay focused on God because it affects so many people's lives. I do the best I can to stay focused on God's word, and I pray for all of you. Whether I know you well or not so well, I pray for all of you all the time because I understand this responsibility, the weight of this. Dove put it to me very clearly. He goes, Ray, do you feel like the church is kind of small? I said, "Mm, yeah. He goes, when you stand before God and you're made to give an account for every one of those people, it's not going to feel small whatsoever, will it? I said, said, you're right. (laughs) But it's very important. Leadership. I've had a lot of good leaders put into me. The people served God as long as Joshua and his team were around, but as soon as they were gone, it's like the lights went out. That speaks good things on Joshua and his leadership. Not so good on the Israelites, does it? They should have picked that up and carried it on. And so I think we've been given this reminder of how well godly leadership can be, how well it can work, because now the coin's about to flip over to the other side. We've seen good leadership. Now we're going to watch things change. We're going to be given a dark comparison. Judges 2 and 8. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Heres and the mountains of Ephraim on the other side of Mount Gash. When all that congregation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. So the generation of people under Joshua's leadership, they saw the great things God did. Apparently, they did not effectively communicate these great things to their children well enough for them to take hold of it. This is a charge to us that anybody behind us, they need to know what God has done in your life. They need to know, don't, well, well, I told you one time five years ago. They need to know, they need to know, they need to know. You need to tell it to them, you need to exemplify it to them, you need to demonstrate it to them, you need to pray it to them, you need to whatever. Make sure they know. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.